Welcome to the Epic Narrative, and now my dad, Bob Switzer. Here's Bob. Good golly, Miss Molly, look at this. We are already on 1 Samuel 25. Now, I think we're on episode, like, I think we're on episode 19. So just to be fair, when I first started doing this, right, we were uh, in the, uh, <laughs> we were in the first, the first wave of quarantine from COVID-19, right? Everybody was supposed to stay home for two weeks. We would flatten the curve, get a handle on this thing and everything go back to normal, right? So I think we were four weeks into that two-week quarantine when I started to step into this because of a lot of people's encouragements over the years. They were like, we, you know, we love it when you tell stories. You should, you should record these things. You, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, so I started. I was like, yeah, you know what? I could do that. Let's do that. And, and it's fun for me. It is really fun for me. And I want to do more. And, and I plan on it. I plan on heading into Genesis and then Exodus because those are really intense stories that, um, the character of God, I think, is is just maligned to the point where a lot of people just step away from God. They look at the, at what what quote God is given credit for, and they're like, I can't I can't serve a God like that. But that's a whole other story. We're in this story, anyways. I just want you to know when I first started, I really thought I could do this in fifteen sessions. I really thought I really did. And I, I mean, I know the story of David and I knew it. And I was like, yeah, I probably, it'd probably be about 15 podcasts. And I talked to my producer slash friend and he was like, yeah, sure. I'll help you. I was like, great. So I'm starting to break down the, the epic. And I, I, I remember getting, I think to, I think I was, I was like, on the 12th or 13th um, little outline that I do for, for each episode. And I was like, Oh man, like I'm, this isn't going to happen in 15. So then I thought, well, maybe, maybe in 20, maybe in 20 and uh, it didn't happen in 20 either. Just so you know, cause we're on episode 19 right now. <laughs> it doesn't have, we're not going to finish. We're not going to finish in 20. Uh, it's, it's probably going to go for a year, uh, once a week for a year. It's, it's ended up being right around 52 or 54, what I call episodes. I mean, that's what I call them when I outlined them. Um, I'm almost on target as far as the, the outline that I put out on paper, but it's, uh, it's, it's way longer than I thought, but, but I like it. It's like, wow, when's the, when's the, when do I ever get a chance to do this? Like literally tell the whole story from beginning to end without a time limit. Most of the time I have a time limit. And I know some of these, most of these are going about 50 minutes. I really thought each one would go 30. I was hoping, I thought, I thought it'll probably go about 20, maybe 30 minutes. And now it's, it's, it's almost a given. I'm going to go about 50. Sometimes I go over an hour, sometimes I think once so far, <laughs> and you guys would know this better than me, but I think once so far, I'm at 38 minutes, so under 40 minutes, one session. This is honestly, to me, it's funny. I'm not upset by it because it's just a, it's just me talking. So I don't really, it's not like I'm not under, I don't have any pressure, which is awesome, but it is funny to me. And I thought I'd share with you 
we're not going to be done in 20 sessions. And if you started listening to this and you want to hear the whole thing, you're probably committed to the rest of the year. Now, uh, we'll leave it up at this point. You know, I'm pre-recording. We're trying to get a bunch of them in in the uh, queue, uh, all produced and ready to go, so that if if in the year I want to take a you know a week off or a couple weeks off, hang with the family or or something like that, I'm not under any pressure to find a place to record and do the do the story. So, anyways, I appreciate you guys listening. I honestly, I love doing this, and I hope that you're enjoying listening. And and uh, always feel free to reach out to me. I do I do want to continue to do bonus podcasts um, based on your questions and your interactions. So we'll revisit aspects of the story. If you have different views on it, and you want to get my more detailed responses uh, to my particular uh, you know framework filters that I run these things through. Absolutely, you want to know more about my journey or my family or whatever, like feel free to ask me whatever and we'll interact with them. And those might not be as wonderfully produced as the current ones because they'll probably be more on the fly. But uh, yeah, keep up the keep up the interactions. And as always, <clears throat> I will keep adding uh, periodically to my Bob Thoughts page on Facebook because uh, those are short and sweet and they're just thoughts I have. Uh, I like to throw those out just for fun. All right, enough about your self-promotion, Bob. Let's go on with the story. First Samuel 25. Here we go. Now Samuel died. Yikes, what a horrible way to start a story. <laughs> and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. And David moved down into the desert of Paran. So there you go. There's a lot in that verse. There's a huge amount of information in that verse. This is one of those verses. Once again, it's an outline. It's not the story. So Samuel died. Samuel maintained his role as spiritual leader of the nation. He did not have a role in the governing of the nation uh, like, like he did for years before Saul became king, and probably what he hoped to be was a part of Saul's governing, part of his counsel, part of his part of his life. But I believe Samuel had, I mean, this goes way back to the earlier podcasts, but I think Samuel had a personal issue with being replaced. I think he took it, he took, uh, in, you know, it was, it was, uh, he took offense. I think he was hurt. He was hurt that the elders of Israel wanted him wanted him replaced. They they wanted a different leader. And and he was hurt because the reasoning for it was he had raised two sons that were just horrible characters. And I'm sure Samuel like any father looked at his bad character sons and thought they'll be okay. Like they'll they'll, they'll come around. They'll come around when they're actually in charge. You know, they'll they'll come around. They're just young, they're making bad decisions, but It'll be okay. It'll be okay. And it wasn't okay. And the elders forced Samuel's hand on that. And of course, God went along with it in that, it, you know, God's God's not bound by who's in charge. He really, the, the, the circumstances of government are just that. They're just circumstances. They're not, 
they're not uh, immune, regardless of what's going on, they're not immune to the goodness of God to override them. They're not immune to the goodness of God to um, influence them. And they're not um, immune to the light of God, the light of his goodness, the light of his love. He can show up anywhere and exp- <clears throat> and remove the darkness. So he's, you know, he, anyways, so that's Samuel. I got stuck on Samuel. So Samuel continued to uh, be the spiritual leader of the nation. He he centered out of Ramah. He had a school there. That's where David went. That's where he was protected. Uh, we we visited that mindset of why David didn't go back. We still don't really know, but but the choice was was David's choice, and he had was free to do that. And God's clearly with David where David is currently out in the wilderness. Uh, all of Israel assembled and mourned him. That probably means even Saul. It was it was like a national day of mourning. It was a national um, burial. Everybody showed up. All the dignitaries, all the you know the elders of every tribe, all the large families had representation there. The I'm sure the prophet school was well represented. I'm sure that there was a, a lot of preaching, sharing, singing. Uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty intense. David was not there. Which makes sense. I know that too, but I'm just just to be sure. So David, David, I'm sure looks at the or you know finds out Samuel died, and David realizes, you know, Samuel was the only person in leadership that both he and Saul had in common that wasn't family. Like as far as reconciliation goes, if anybody could have brokered a conversation between. Saul and David, it would have been Samuel. Jonathan was was on the outs as far as that goes. His father didn't trust him anymore because he had helped David escape and had sworn, you know, uh, covenants with with David to rule alongside David when David was king. Like there's there were things there that offenses that Saul chose to take. So Jonathan could not have brokered the deal. Uh, he did once, but he couldn't do it again. Samuel would have been that person. Samuel could have stepped in as a spiritual leader of the nation. He could have stepped in as his role of, of prophet, not ruler, but prophet. He could have, he could have maintained a relationship with Saul. He could have developed a relationship with Saul. He could have, there's so many things that Samuel could have done to help Saul out, to still be available and I'm I'm thinking that Samuel probably thought similar to a lot of people in ministry, which is, hey, if if you want spiritual advice, I'm here. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of pastors that feel that way about their church, right? You want to come to church? I'm here. You want counsel? I'm here. You want advice? I'm here. I'm not I'm not gonna call you. I'm not gonna see what's going on in your life and stop by and see if I can help. It's your job to come to me. Now, some, some, at some level, that's true, right? You can't, no one can work harder on your problems than you can. And there's a lot of people that head off into ministry and they start, they start working hard on other people's problems, but the people don't want help. They don't want to work on those problems. And over time, you know, people in ministry get wore out or, the individuals that they're helping, that they've done all this work for, 
are doing the work, basically they're, they're going for the ride. They're not doing the work. So when the person stops doing all the work, the person just gets off the ride and goes back to the way that they were. And it's very discouraging. It's very discouraging in ministry. I've seen it happen. It burns people out. It, it upsets them. It, it, it sours them against future ministry. They, they're just like, this is useless. People, people don't get it. And they go and do things. They, they do quote, regular jobs to earn money so that so that they're not hurt anymore by all of this but it is it is an interesting balance but here you know Samuel and Saul had a relationship and Samuel I think uh just kind of took that that side approach like Saul is I mean he had to know Saul was creating this culture of fear that Saul was struggling with his identity that Saul was periodically spiraling into depression that Saul was troubled uh by by uh his inability to understand what god was doing in david's life he 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 couldn't receive blessing like the all of that had to be information that samuel would have would have been aware of informed about and in the end he just said well if if saul needs help he can come find me i mean that's that's pretty crazy But actually, it's not, because a lot of people in ministry do it. But you'd think, well, but this is Samuel. I mean, he's the prophet of God, right? And he had the freedom to make this choice. But David sees that Samuel's dead, and he's like, wow, if anybody could have brought us together, Samuel could have. I'm guessing Saul and I will probably never reconcile at this point. I'm probably never going to get get more than just left alone by Saul. And and he had been. Saul had been leaving David alone. So David moved down to this desert of Paran, which is basically um, um, in the Sinai Peninsula. So he hangs out down there, and he, he basically becomes a protector of, of land and livestock. He takes his 600 men, they move their families, they they find uh, adequate housing, adequate uh, provision for probably, at this point, he's probably pushing 1,500 uh, with women and children, maybe more. Uh, hanging out. It's, it's a, it, I mean, he literally is traveling now with like a small village and his men took up a job that was not unusual for people, uh, of their type of refugee slash nomads. They were, they were trained warriors. Uh, actually secular history books look at this time and they call them mercenaries. They were, you know, hired hired guns and and we'll see more of that uh later where that is actually a very uh legitimate um description of what they are but but currently what they did was David took up a role that he would have been familiar with because he was a shepherd but he, they took up a role of protecting the land and the livestock on that land they protected them from from the Philistine raiders from from those that traveled the uh, you know to and from the the markets 
the roadways were safe, the highways were safe, the campgrounds were safe, the livestock were safe. These, it became, they were, they were, um, yeah, they were mercenaries. That's really what they were. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. But there was one particular man who was uh, incredibly wealthy and had had a huge plot of, of land uh, there at Carmel. And he had, uh, you know, a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which is insane. This is, I mean, honestly, this is a very, very wealthy man. And he's from the tribe of Judah. So David's in a, in a place where, in concept, everybody's kind of related. It's family. Now, all of his refugees aren't necessarily from the tribe of Judy, Judah. You know, the, the mighty men aren't from the, from the tribe of Judah, but, but he is. And he's their leader. And so the tribe, you know, the, the men of Judah, the elders of Judah would have known, well, David's protecting the land there in the, in the peninsula. Not that they would have called it Sinai Peninsula, but they would have, they would have known where he was there in Carmel. And, and this guy's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And I love the fact that the Bible, you know, the, the writers of, of, this, of this scripture, in the whole story, want to make sure that you have this in your outline. That she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. I think that's awesome. Because, the, listen, in the kingdom of heaven, everyone is of equal value. Men, women. Doesn't matter your skin color. It's you're all of equal value. Now, now, it also it doesn't mean we're all uniform. We're not all the same, but we're all of equal value. That's the way God views this. So the women here in Scripture are considered as equal valued to men. Now, in the culture, no, they were not. In the culture. They were slightly above livestock. They were they were they were culturally valued for their ability to make children. But here in Scripture, the Bible makes sure we know she was intelligent and beautiful. Her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. So so this means Nabal Nabal was very wealthy but very harsh. And evil. He was technically related to David. He was from the tribe. So David has been there for months, probably close to a year. It's sheep shearing time, which is the time of money. This is how you make your money raising sheep. He's got a thousand of them. This is going to take more than a day. <laughs> probably several weeks. All the shepherds are working their way in. All the people that work for Nabal are working their way in. They bring them into the pens, and then they spend several days cutting off all of their wool and then bringing them back out. You can't bring in a 1,000 sheep all at once. So they just there's like a conveyor belt. They're timing this out. If you, if, you, know, you show up a little early, you go out into the pastures, you wait several days till the till the pen is empty, and then you bring your sheep in. So this is this is a huge, big, long deal. 
So David hears from his men because David's not the guy who's like watching this. He's overseeing 1,500 to 2,000 people. He's got a lot of stuff to keep an eye on. He doesn't need to be out protecting anything. He's got men that are highly capable warriors protecting everything. And he gets word back as he would from anybody that they're protecting, not just Nabal. Like sometimes when you read this, you think this is the only only guy he's protecting. No, they're protecting a lot of people. So whenever there was sheep shearing going on, he would get word back. And then David would respond because these are family members. These are he would respond because he's family. He would he would ask for compensation for their role as protectors. This was common. This was this was expected. Everybody else was probably on board with this. They would they would give a portion of their of their wealth, or they would give a, some of their sheep. Like there was a way to pay these guys for protecting them because they didn't lose any sheep. They didn't lose any men. They didn't lose any money. They didn't, they didn't, you know, they, the, the wild animals were kept at bay. The raiders were kept at bay. The marketers and tradesmen were able to travel without fear. There was there, whenever that happens, when fear is removed and protection is given, wealth just, just continues. Favor continues. Blessing continues. This was happening to the region that David and his men were protecting. And so David hears that Nabal is shearing his sheep. So he sends 10 young men, a representative, you know, representation of, of him and all the men that have been protecting. And he goes, go to Nabal of Carmel, greet him in my name, remind him, basically, we're relatives, my name. He says, long life to you, good health to you, and your household, and good health to all that is yours. So basically, we hope everything's going great. Like, bless him. Don't go in demanding. Don't go in rude. Don't go in like some of us would consider like, uh, you know, like something from Narcos or or back in the day, uh, you know, Goodfellas or The Sopranos. Like, don't go in rude. Don't go in <clears throat> with your with your swords out. Reminding him of what we've done for him. Go in and bless him. Just go in and talk. Like it's a group of ten guys. We're letting them know that 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 uh, you know we're not to be messed with, but we're not going to go in and be rude. We're going to go in and be kind. We're going to be thoughtful. We're going to bless them. So it, that's what they do. And he says, uh, so tell him that we heard that he's shearing sheep, and let's remind him of what we did. When your when your shepherds were under our care, we did not mistreat them. The whole time that they were that they were on your property, nothing of theirs was missing. See, sometimes, sometimes guys that would take on roles of being protectors would take in early payment, so to speak. They would steal stuff. They would they would take the sheep early. They would say, "Well, I got to eat. I'm taking that one." And there was nothing the shepherds could do. These guys were usually well armed, and they were they outnumbered them. I mean, they might have had a sling. They could have they could have taken out a couple, but they probably weren't going to live long if they did that. So he's reminding them, listen, we, we treated people well. We protected your people. We made sure nothing of theirs was stolen. They could leave their, their belongings, you know, by their by their sleeping areas in the and be there. It'd still all be there when they got back. Nothing was taken. 
And you know this. You can confirm this. You can talk to any of your shepherds that are here shearing your sheep. They all know that this is true. So they're like they're they're bringing this stuff up not not as like a glamorous let me go through how wonderful we are. They're saying there's evidence of this. You can see the evidence. Ask your own servants. They'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable be favorable toward my men. This is David's message. Since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David, your relative David, whatever you can find for them. David's saying, listen, we took great care of you. You know this. You can ask for evidence. Eyewitnesses, if you think that we're not telling the truth, feel free to double check our word. These 10 guys represent me. And we're looking for some form of payment. Give us what you can. He's not He's not asking for a specific amount. He just expects payment. And he should expect payment. He did the work. They did the work. They kept everyone safe. So the men arrive. They give Nabal this message in David's name. And then they waited. I don't know how long that was. But sheep shearing was busy. Nabal is, remember, he's mean and surly. He's he's harsh. He's evil. People don't like him. He doesn't, he doesn't care. He's way too wealthy to care. He's got that, um, I kind of picture him like, uh, I don't need friends. I don't want friends. My job is not to be friends with anybody. My job is to make money, and I do. So I don't really care. So he gets this message from the men, and he makes them wait. And he makes them wait for a while. And eventually, he decides to give his answer. Now, I picture the servants that are, and, and shepherds and attendants that are all over this, this sheep searing time. It's, it's a festive time. It's a fun time. The, the you know the food is available for everyone because everyone's in town the the drink is available for everybody because everybody's in town the the it's it's a fun time you're looking at 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 the end of a of a season in which they didn't lose anything they didn't lose any sheep like the shepherds that are bringing their their sheep in know they're going to be paid well because every sheep is there all the all the fur is there. They didn't have to run their sheep around because of wild animals. They didn't they didn't their sheep didn't lose weight because they couldn't go to certain pastures during certain times. Like like this, there's so much blessing flowing right now. Nabal is is looking at his wealth and it's just increasing and increasing. It's like a a mean, surly, evil businessman, but the stocks keep going up in the company. So he's like, I'm doing this is awesome. I'm doing everything right. I'm amazing. And he sends his answer back to David's servants. He says, who's, who's David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men who uh, coming from who, who knows where? Wow. Wow, this is what this is this is how we break this down. He insults him. Yeah, he insults him on many levels. He calls him a, a runaway slave. 
many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Who is this son of Jesse? Who is this David? I don't know him. I don't care. I don't care. He's he's just a runaway slave, I guess, right? A runaway servant. He's a criminal. These guys uh, that run away from their slaves should be should be you know disciplined. Why why would I give my bread and meat and water that I've I've cut? I've taken care of this. In other words, this is this is I I get credit for all that's going on here. And I'm doing this for my servants. Why would I give it to him? He's he's a runaway. He's not my servant. He don't work for me. I don't care about him. I don't care about his men. So David's men, they know what just happened. They're not they're they probably didn't take this happily. And I'm guessing the servants of Nabal that heard what was going on. Mm, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> They're probably thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe he just did that. And others are thinking, I knew he was going to do this. Like typical, typical Nabal. He's going to do something stupid like this. We're not going to have, the, you know, at the very least, we're not going to have protection next year. Not going to do it. Everybody's going to be raiding our, our herds. They're going to be taking our sheep. They're going to be killing us. They're going to be beating us up. The wild animals are going to be able to come in. This is this is not going to end well. Why did he do this? Or now we're of course he did this because he's an idiot. He's a horrible master. He's so unkind. So David gets his message back and he is so insulted. He's embarrassed. He's mad. David, um, <laughs> maybe because he wasn't being chased by Saul, maybe because he he thought. He kind of hit a rhythm down here and he'd find a place where he could be at peace. Maybe he wasn't connecting to heaven as much as he had before, which is not unusual. David's allowed to be normal, and he was just kind of in his normal life. I'm sure he loved God. I'm sure that he sang. I'm sure that, that you know, things like that were going on, but but it wasn't the same. And so this this offense occurs within David. This is what happens when you get offended. You feel embarrassed. You feel mad. You feel insulted. You feel, you know, you're questioned. How dare you question me? How how dare he accuse me of being a runaway slave? I was, you know, kicked out. I was chased out. My master tried to kill me several times. This was not... I didn't run. I I still serve the the nation. I still serve the king. I just don't have a role anymore. Oh man, David, David was just in his mind. It was justifiable offense, justified in being angry. He he spent all that time and energy protecting this man's wealth, and he became far more wealthy because of it. And now he won't even share one sheep. David didn't even tell him what he deserved. He just said, "Give us something. Give us something of your wealth." And the guy wouldn't give him anything. Oh, man, this David was. David was so mad. He says, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. They were they were excited. I think that's I mean, that's the nuance of the of the Hebrew here. It's like, yes, we're going like these guys. I, I picture them mounting up on their on their on their horses. It says David strapped on his as well. About 400 of them went up with David. While 200 stayed back with the family and supplies. 
400 men. They look like the Dothraki from from uh, from Game of Thrones. That's what I that's what I pictured this whole scene. Like they are, you you do not want to meet these guys on an open field. They are pissed. They just are. They're they're remember <laughs> they're warriors, right? They've been trained by David to kill. It's been a while. It's been a while. As far as we know, it's been since they protected that town that eventually was going to kick, it was going to turn them in anyway. So they had to leave. And then they had the chance to take on, to kill Saul and take on 3,000 soldiers and, and David wouldn't let them do that. Now they've been, they've been, you know, guarding sheep, which at some level is nice. But in a lot of ways for a warrior, it's like, what am I doing out here? Like I'm, I'm killing, uh, coyotes. Uh, took out a few, um, desert rats. Uh, maybe a few of them took on some some raiding party. But trust me, word got around what was you know who was protecting all uh, this this huge tract of land, and uh, they went to easier pickings. They went to places where it was easier to to get stuff. They weren't gonna they weren't gonna miss. These guys were these guys were itching for a fight. These guys were were strapped and ready. And when David strapped on his sword, oh man, game was on. Game was on. It was what was that guy's name? Kali 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 from Game of Thrones, the the lead Dothraki. Anyways, that's what I picture. That's what I see here. Hairs flying. You know, he's got the he's got his hair strapped back, but it's long and it's flowing. And you got you got uh, just. The, the strappings, the the look, the sandals. He's on a horse, and off they go. They are headed into battle. There is no way the shepherds are going to resist them. They all know them. They like them. They're going after Nabal. They're going after his family. David has decided <laughs> that... That the offense that Nabal has put on his family is worthy of wiping out Nabal and and his household. Nobody's going to survive. David's like, fine, I will take all your wealth. You think all of this is because of you? It's because of me. It's this is this is a classic, um, you know, clash of pride. So, one of the servants who saw this whole scene of Nabal insulting David and sending his men back, goes and tells Abigail. Why? Because she's intelligent. She's beautiful. She probably actually runs everything. Nabal is later on described as overweight, so he's just he's just fat, lazy, rich, prideful, arrogant, mean, unkind like the only reason why he got abigail as a wife is because i'm sure arrangements were made so that his her family could be connected to such a wealthy man so she's running everything and one of the servants goes to her and says listen so david sent messengers from the wilderness and he gave your master you know he 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 treated everybody nicely they spoke nicely to the master. They asked for compensation for the fact that they've protected us all these all these months. That nothing we didn't we didn't miss anything. Everything has been protected. 
They didn't even ask for early payment. They didn't, they didn't manipulate us. They didn't steal stuff from us. They waited until now and they came and they, they gave the master greetings. That's what that phrase means. They explained everything and then they waited and he hurled insults at them. And, and, and again, the servant reiterates, these men were so good to us. They didn't mistreat us. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time. Like, now think it over. See what you can do. Because, <laughs> because we're all about to die. Like the, the phrasing in, in the, in the scriptures, like disaster is hanging over our master and the whole household. We're all in trouble because of, he is so wicked. He's so unapproachable. None of us can talk to him. None of us could explain. Listen, Nabal, these guys were really good guys. We should pay them for what they did. We would never have this many sheep at the sheep shearing festival if if there wasn't for them. Like, like, so Abigail gets it right away. She starts acting quickly. She knows the servants have to go tell David. David's going to have to respond. I've got a few minutes here to put something together. She took 200 loaves of bread. Now, this speaks to... Her wisdom, but it also speaks to the amount of food that was already prepared for the festival of sheep shearing. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep that have already been cooked, five sheaths of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of, of pressed figs. She loaded them onto donkeys. Again, this had to take more than five minutes, people. She probably put this together in a couple hours. She puts it all together and she told her servants, all right, you go head toward David. I'll follow you. But she did not tell the ball. She's making sure everything's going to run smoothly. All the ball's going to do is do what he always does. Sit in his tent, be served wine and bread and cakes and food whenever he wants and be rude to people. That's what she, that's what he does all day. I'm sure he had business dealings. People had to deal with him. He was the wealthiest man in the region. I'm sure people came and go, went from his tent. I'm sure that he was he was setting the price for his wool because his wool was so much better than everybody else's wool. Whatever. So meanwhile, right, David's riding with his men. She comes riding on her donkey into a into a ravine there's david and his men just it says it descending toward her so they're coming they come up over the top of the ravine they're headed into the ravine she's in the ravine there's 400 men coming at her all this food is kind of out in front of her david is still still upset like he's still in the self-pity mode he's like it was useless taking care of this guy's property all in the wilderness, making sure nothing happens to them. And he pays me back evil for the good I've done. And he he like makes a promise to God. May God def, you know come after me if I did anything so bad. And if by morning anyone in any male in his household see he's going after the household not the servants he's going after anybody that's related to nabal he's going to wipe them out if anybody in his household is still alive may god judge me for not doing a complete job 
He feels so justified in killing people right now. This is his choice. He's free to make this choice. It's not a good one. It's not a wise one, but he's making that choice. And Abigail sees David, and she quickly gets off her donkey, and she starts bowing down to them. David, she bows down to David. Her face is on the ground. She, So David's riding, right? He's riding hard. He sees, he sees all these servants with, with, you know, donkeys filled with food. I'm sure they ride right by him, but, it, you know, it, it captures his attention because he's alert. And then he sees this, this woman. Remember, she's beautiful. Looks will capture a man's attention. He sees this beautiful woman and she bows down to him. And, and I picture him just, he's like, whoa. He stops his donkey or his horse or. And he stops and he looks at her and she falls at his feet. So again, this isn't like he walked up to her. He stops. She scurries over to him and bows down again. And she says, pardon your servant. Let me speak to you. Hear what I have to say. <laughs> Please don't pay any attention to my husband. He is a fool. And he makes foolish decisions. I did not know that your men had come. In other words, I, I run the show. I make these decisions. My husband is an idiot. He doesn't understand the ramifications of his decisions. I didn't know that you had sent men. If I had known you had sent men, I would have taken care of them. Since the Lord has kept you from killing anyone, please connect with me. Let's you and I, you know, talk with with your own hands. May your enemies and all those who intent, who are intent on harming my Lord, be like Nabal. Let let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. She's like, please take all this food and enjoy it. There's plenty here for everyone. Please forgive my you know, my presumption. And she goes on to remind David of his calling. She reminds David of his reputation. Right? Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will surely be secure in a bundle of living, you know, in the in the bundle of the living by the by the Lord God. She's like you the the lives of your enemies he will hurt he will hurl away from you as a, as a as a uh, you know a rock a rock from a sling he's going to fulfill everything he's promised you regarding you being appointed uh over Israel you don't kill needlessly you don't kill enemies you let god avenge you when the lord has brought you success just remember me your servant like she she lays out David's David's reputation. She lays out David's calling. She reminds him that that everybody knows that he has been anointed by Samuel and called of God to be the next king of Israel. She basically says, "You don't want to kill Nabal. He's an idiot. He's a fool. It's just going to destroy your reputation for what? He's not worth it." Take the food. I'll give you more. Like this is there's plenty where this came from. 
Just don't do what you came here to do. It's actually, it's beautiful what she does. And it gives David a chance to breathe. He backs down. He backs down because she's right. (laughs) He says, you know what? Praise the Lord. God has sent you to me today. May you be blessed for your good judgment and keeping me from bloodshed this day, from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, who, who would have kept me from harming you? I would have done something stupid. If you hadn't come out here quickly to meet me, trust me, not one male relative of Nabal would have been alive by tomorrow morning. He's like, you're right. You're right on all counts. You are wise. You are beautiful. I appreciate the fact that you came out here and meet me today to keep me from doing something stupid. There's not many people like you on the planet. So David accepted all the food. And he said, go home in peace. And I grant your request. When I'm king, I'll remember you. So the men... They all leave. Like, I don't know if they were happy or not, but at least they had food. And they all leave. They go back to their families, to their to the other 200 guys that were with them, uh, protecting their, their stuff, and they all sit down and they eat, and they're having a great meal. So Abigail goes to Nabal, and he was in his house holding a banquet like that of a king. Like, he just had this succulence, extravagance, just huge, generous portions. And he partied all night. So she didn't talk to him then because he was just drunk and being the fool. And the next morning, when he was sober and she was in his presence, she was like, so yesterday I took care of a few things for you. You know those servants that you sent away? The fact that you insulted David, and he's probably thinking, yeah, I I insulted him. I'm going to, how dare he assume that I would pay him for his, he, he's a runaway slave. That's what I call him, a runaway slave. He's like, yeah, well, I just want you to know he was here. He was on his way here with 400 men. And they were going to kill you. And they were going to kill your sons. And they were going to kill your brothers. There wasn't anybody in your family that would live. They were coming to wipe out your family. You know, all this wealth that you have, all this influence that you have, it was going to be gone. It was going to be gone in a matter of minutes. Because these guys don't mess around. Everything that you hold so dearly, he was going to kill and wipe out. And Nabal was very sober at that point. And it said that his heart failed him and he became like a stone. So basically, he had a stroke. Now, whose fault was that? I don't know. Probably his. Probably eating and drinking and not exercising. He had a stroke. And about 10 days later, It says the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Again, I don't think God killed him. 
I don't think God kills. We've been over this. I do understand why the writer would say it that way. A lot of people say that death is from God. They say, well, it must have been God's timing. Well, that's that. Well, this is what I know. Jesus says that sin brings death. The wages of sin, the, the end result of sin is always death. Sometimes it's death of relationships. Sometimes it's, it's death of reputation. Sometimes it's death of your body. And in this case, it was. Whatever the results of, of Nabal's choices were, the end result was death. And when that happened and David heard about it, he's he thinks God did it too. He's like, praise the Lord who upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He kept his servant from doing wrong, and he has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Now, this is <laughs> this is one of those things where God gets credit for what sin has accomplished, right? It, David's like, the evil, the evil, the sin that Nabal has done, God has judged and, and brought about death. Here's the thing. <laughs> Once again, sin brings about death. You can look at that as God's judgment and, and say that God caused the death, or you can say the results of the choices that Nabal made caused his death. And who put that principle into the universe? God did. So you can say, well, God did it. I don't think so. Because the other, another principle that's in the universe is that of freedom. Another principle is that of you reap what you sow. That's what brought about the death of Nabal. David gives God credit for it. A lot of people would give God credit for it. I understand why it's written this way. I just don't see God as a killer because Jesus wasn't. And Jesus represents the Father. And I know that for some, it's like, well, this is the Old Testament God, and Jesus is the New Testament God. I don't think God switched his character around. I don't think he said, I'm going to be a murderer a murderer for so many thousands of years, and then I'm going to switch. I don't think so. I just don't. So I understand why it's written this way. I just don't think it's true. I think Nabal made his own choices. Nabal died. He didn't have to die. The story could have went forward without Nabal dying. Well, David sent word to Abigail. He's like, he didn't even show up. This is what's bizarre to me. He doesn't go down to see Abigail. He sends a messenger. He's nervous. He says, ask Ab Abigail to become my wife. Her beauty was captivating. Her wisdom was, was like beyond comparison. He's like, I, I would not need that woman in my life permanently. So servants went down, said to Abigail, David has sent word to you, he'd like you to become his wife. And she bowed her face down. She goes, absolutely, I will, I'm ready to serve. I will wash the feet of my Lord's servants. And so she did this whole illustration of how much she loves David and would serve him and attend his affairs. She would take care of his household. She would use her wisdom as she did for Nabal, but she would do it for David. And, and Abigail quickly got on a donkey and took five of her female servants with her, and she went with David's messengers and became his wife. So Nabal's Nabal's dead. So his relatives are dividing up his, you know, his, everything's being divided up. Abigail's gonna probably end up just being given to somebody else to be a servant. 
She's just going to be on her own. Again, culturally, that's what happened. I don't think biblically, I don't think that's the way God views Abigail. She's beautiful. She's wise. She's, you know, highly valued in heaven. But culturally, she was just going to be swept aside. She was one of the, one of the, uh, uh, items that Nabal owned. What do I want to say? She was a commodity. She was, um, Bob, come up with a word. Oh, anyways. So she definitely, she takes this offer. She goes with David. She marries him. Now, David had also married another woman. We get word of that here at the end of the chapter. So now he has two wives. And meanwhile, back at the palace, Saul, given his daughter Michelle, the one who had married David, she gave him to another. He gave her to another guy named Patali. So in order to, again, I think, embarrassed David to cut him off from being part of the family. He was now an enemy of the family. He took the wife that made him part of the family and he gave her to somebody else. He gave her to another relative so that there was no question, you know, that David was was on the outs. He would never be invited back in. And that's the end of this amazing chapter. This amazing chapter where we just see how sometimes when you allow offense to get in, it's going to cause death. Now, in this particular case, we see that like literal death was about to occur. But wisdom and the beauty of wisdom will keep you from doing things that shouldn't be done. And David not only was offended and was about to do something stupid, but he allowed wisdom to come in. He allowed himself to be reminded, to be thankful for what God has done and then to be reminded of what God called him to be. And in that recognition of who he was called to be, he knew, wait a minute, this is not how a child of God behaves. This is not how uh, somebody who's associated with the God of love behaves. And that's the essence of, of how you overcome sin. Even if it's habitual sin, you look at it and you say, you know what, this is not how a child of the king behaves. This is not how a prince of heaven behaves. I know it's what I did, or I know it's what I was attempting to do, but it's not who I am. I am a child of the king. I am called of God to be a ruler. I am uh, a lover of people because God is a lover of people. And you turn things around and you go back. And that's what David did. And that's what the wisdom of Abigail teaches us. And this is just a great story. A great story in the middle of an epic story that we will continue the next time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.